Uh, how embarrassing should I be? Huh? I, I got two daughters in this class, huh? Should I, should I be embarrassing or just... I'm already being the awkward dad. All right, so Mrs. Bromberg asked me to come in and have a conversation with you about Avdus. You guys learning about slavery? Yeah. Yeah, I hope so. Unless, I mean, yeah? What do you, what do you remember learning about? Slavery where? When? Who? What? Why? How? Civil War. Civil War. Okay. So emancipation. Learning about the end of slavery. So we'll talk about a little bit of slavery in the Torah. All right? You heard of slavery in the Torah? Yeah? Where, did, where does slavery in the Torah come up? Mitzrayim. Huh? Mitzrayim. We were slaves. Very good. Is there such thing as a Jew owning a slave? Or a servant? Yeah? You think it's nice to own a slave? No? Is the Torah nice? Yeah? So why, why is there slavery in the Torah? Yeah? Why slavery? Something that we want to understand, right? How does it work? Yeah, go ahead. Because sometimes, like, there's the best punishment for a person so, like, they can feel You sound like bad. a good mother. You sound like a good mother. I don't want to do this, but you're making me do this. And, I, and it's your own, right? So let's get into this a little bit. So the Torah says, Ki sikna When a person acquires, when a person receives an evidence, there's two ways for, we'll first speak about Jewish servants, then we'll talk about Nebuchadnezzar, okay? Non-Jewish servants. It's two different types of servants in the Torah with a lot of similar halachos, but in a way very different. So one type of evidence is called an Eved Ivri, a Jewish servant. There's two ways to become a Jewish servant. One way to become a Jewish servant for a man. It's for a man, Okay? You guys cannot become a servant in these ways. Can't. One way that a Jewish man could become a servant is by stealing from somebody else, being unable to pay back. So what do they do? The Bezdin goes ahead and gives him as a servant to go work off his debt. You know what a debt is? D-E-B-T. Yeah? Debt. Why silent B? I don't know why they're silent letters, but there are silent letters. Okay? Good afternoon, Rebetzin. How are you? Thank you so much. Okay, beautiful. So, so to pay off a debt, that's one way. So a person steals and they can't pay off. So Bezlin has that person go work off their debt. Another way to become a servant is if somebody simply, a man, again, both by men, a man goes and sells himself. Why? Whatever reason. We'll find out soon why a man would sell himself as a slave. The halacha by both of these servants is, you could become a slave, but for how long maximum? What's the maximum? Call it out. Huh? 50 years. Okay, that's plan B. Plan B could be up to 50 years max. Initially, how many years maximum? Seven. Seven. Close, close, close. Seven minus one. Six. Six. All right, get, get. No raising hands in my class. Now we just call out, right? So six years maximum for a man to become a servant. Again, either if he steals, he can't pay back or by selling himself. If Yovel, if the 50 years are up within the six years, he goes free automatically. Fine. So the what's interesting to note is as follows. When the Torah gets into the laws of financial matters, you know what financial matters are? Mm-hmm. Finance. Like mula, cash, usfle, things like that. Yeah. 
So when the Torah gets into financial matters, you, you'll notice as I speak, I just entertain myself. You guys know what I'm talking about, but it's fine. I, I crack myself up very often. You ever tell yourself jokes like when nobody? You ever laugh, tell yourself jokes? I tell myself jokes. And then people think I'm strange for laughing, but Lamais, it's not funny. Like when you're driving down Delmar and the cleaners has a sign up, sorry, we're closed and it's three o'clock in the morning. I find that very funny. I find, I find that funny. They're apologizing to me for being closed at three o'clock in the morning. I just, you know, so I think it's funny. Other people don't. So it comes off as strange. But uh, as, as I get this, okay? So you have somebody who owes money they can't pay back, fine. So now, the, the, when it comes to laws of money in the Torah, the very first halacha is about a person who steals money. Mamash a thief. Steals money and cannot pay back. Why do you think that's the first law in all of finances in the Torah? Interesting. Like you go to the worst case scenario, right? I would think you want to start out with like the laws of money. You'd be like, okay, so first, uh, be honest. And if somebody comes and maybe wants to borrow money, lend them money, something. Something like normal, standard, whatever. The Torah like immediately when it comes to finances jumps in and be like, oh yeah, by the way, if somebody's like an avid thief, you know, he becomes an avid every, and that's like the worst case scenario when it comes to finances. Why do you, why do we jump right in over there? You have any, you have any thoughts? Yeah, A, B, C, D, F, G, any, no? No, what do you say, Ora? No? Any, any, any thoughts? Why go, you understand the question? Why go straight to the worst? The worst case scenario. The answer is, and now we're going to segue into the answer on the entire topic of today. The answer is because the Torah tells me I'm obligated to treat people the way that I'm obligated to treat people. And I don't treat people the way that they treat me. So usually people say, you have to treat people the way that you would want to be treated. Okay? The Torah tells us there's something even more than that. Which is, I'm obligated to treat everybody in a way of Torah even when they're wrong. Even though, this guy's a ganav. This guy's a thief. He's stealing my stuff, or he's stealing other people's stuff. Tens of thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars. And the Torah tells me, oh, you know what happens? He's going to become a servant for a maximum of six years, and there's a way that I need to handle him. Anybody know what the halacha is? How does a master responsible to take care of an evidentiary? Go ahead. He's got to treat him good, right? In what way? What are some examples? What does a master need to do? Go ahead. Only one bed, only one pillow. Anybody else? Yeah, you got it. You got to treat. Go ahead. Good. Yeah, can't make him do things for no reason. You can't do anything that's demeaning. Yeah. Anything that you wouldn't do in a demeaning way, which means in a way putting that you're putting them down, right? And it's just like embarrassing for the person. In some ways, Chazal teach us. You know, you know anybody know what Chazal means? You ever people say Chazal? Yeah, I mean, what Chazal means stands for. Yeah, good. Okay, so Chazal is Chachamim is the brachas. It's really any of the Chachamim, right, of the previous generations, either a group of Chachamim, but the, the expression of Chazal can apply either more recently or hundreds of years ago or even thousands of years ago. When people hear Chazal, it's more of a broader expression of something that is taught in Yiddishkeit. So Chazal teach us that the the responsibility of a master. Over a servant is to really treat uh, is to really treat that servant like a master, which means you need to be a rock star mensch to own any evid, whether it's an evid ivri or an evid kanani. Okay, and like we said, we're going to focus right now on evidence. What happens to that evid for six years? This guy stole. Let's say, what are we going to do to him now? 
In America, what do you do to somebody who steals? United States, what do we do? What do we do? Lock him up. Right? You lock him up. Put him away. What else would you do? In some societies, they would. Come on, anything random, just anything random. Make him give it back. Good. Other societies, they might give him a whooping. Right? They might whip them. In other societies, they might put them to death. In other societies, all sorts of things. In any society, that's what they ultimately decide. Now, in, a, in the United States, you know, if you steal, you go to prison. Who lives in prison? Other thieves. Right? <laughs> so what does it help? What does it help? Was you put the guy in prison? So now he's with other, other ganovim, other thieves, other murderers. What do you think they're doing in prison? They're learning how to be good people? Probably. Ooh, what, an, what a seviva, what an environment to put a thief into. That's mom is going to take care. Ooh, make him a better person. When he comes out of jail after 10 years, I'm sure he's going to be an upstanding member of society after spending 10 years learning how to steal better and not get caught. Right? These guys are probably figuring out when they get out of prison. Yeah, so Some people talk do become better. That's, that's actually true. But what the Torah does is the Torah, obli- well, the Torah creates an environment where the Ganav who did something wrong is now going to be put into a home of somebody that's a, a family that's, rock, that's rocking, like rock star family of menshlucha people. The Rambam says, if a master doesn't treat a servant the way the Torah says, he, he, the, the servant goes free. So, and in order to treat your servant right, you need to be a mensch. So in order to kind of like rehabilitate, to help the Ebed, the Torah creates this environment that we put the, that we put the person into. Notice that also one of the Allahs of an Ivory is if somebody steals and they have to go into servitude, guess what happens? The owner, the entire family moves in. Entire family. So let's say you have a, it, only a man could become an Ivory in this way. So let's say you have a man who steals and now he's going to become an Ivory. What's going to happen to the wife and children? They're going to be left out for six years? The Allah is, that says it, says it in the Pasuk, that when he goes free after six years, the wife goes free after six years. And Rashi asked, the wife was never a servant. What do you mean she goes free? Rashi explains the whole family was supported financially for the six years by the master. So notice what's happening is, what's happening here is, is that you have a person who steals and now is going to go into a good home, a good environment, and they're going to, we're going to make sure that his entire family is taken, is, uh, is taken care of. Okay, and that's one of the, the Torah ways. We had a story in uh, Baltimore. There was a, I'm going to be a little vague on the details, but there was unfortunately an incident that took place a while ago um, involving some families that were Shomer Shabbos, we'll call them. We're not going to call them Torah families because they obviously stole. So the fathers at least weren't uh, you know, honest people. So they weren't living in the ways of Torah. But they wore yarmulkes and they kept Shabbos and whatever it was. And there was a, there was a group of people who unfortunately, um, they, they stole. And a number of them went to jail because one of them, one of them ended up being the snitch on everybody else. And that's a whole thing in and of itself um, to turn people into, into the authorities. There's a lot of parameters. You need, I need to ask a Shaila. Now, to, if somebody's unsafe... Somebody's in danger. Of course, you need to call the cops. You need to call the police. You need to let them know. But when it comes to financial matters and things of that sort, it's important to ask a shot. Anyway, this person who kind of went out of his way, he snitched on everybody else because 
the, they told him, the court told him, if he snitches on everybody else, he'll only sit in prison for six months and everybody else will sit in prison for 10 years. As long as he talks about everybody else. And in halacha, we call that person a moser. A moser is somebody who gives other people over to the government and they're abonim of the place where these people live, paskin that this guy was not allowed to do what he did. It was also him to do what he did. And they put him in cherem. They put him in cherem, the excommunicator from the community. He actually left the community and him and his family moved to a place right outside of Baltimore. He had a, a wife and a number of children and they moved right outside of Baltimore. And the local schools um, were unsure how to handle taking the children in because the father was in Cherem and how does this work? And while they were figuring that all out, so my father, Zechariah Levracha, heard about this family and he sent my siblings and my nephews and nieces to this home and instructed them to teach and learn with this from family. Make sure you become friends with the wife. Make sure that he wants to make sure that my nephews and nieces, all the grandchildren became friends with those kids. And he told them, you're not allowed to talk to the husband. The father, the husband, you can't talk to him because he's in Kherim. But the rest of the family, you're obligated to still take care of them. Make sure they feel normal. It's not their fault that their father did something wrong. such thing there, but it's their fault. Now the school has to figure out, is it? And ultimately, Baruch Hashem, the schools realized that that's the right thing to do and... and they took them in, but uh, obviously it was a little bit of a, a situation. The Torah lets us know that you just because somebody does something wrong, that means you couldn't. That means the the rest of the family gets left out in the cold. Of course not. The Torah is sensitive to this reality, and therefore anybody who takes in an Eved Ivri, not only do you have to take care of the Eved Ivri, the Eved Ivri does work for the master. He's going to work, but the wife and children also need to be taken care of financially. Now that is all. Those were two ways that a Jewish man becomes an Eved Ivri. Is that clear? Yeah, we'll take questions in a soon. There's one way for a Jewish girl to become what we'll call an Eved and what the Torah calls a Amma Ivriya. An Amma Ivriya is a Jewish maid servant, a female maid servant called an Amma Ivriya. There's one way for a, a girl to become an Ivriya. Do you know how? You know how it's possible? I'm going to take a shot at it. Go ahead. If a family, good, very good. A father specifically. So what happens is like this. By a Jewish man, he can only become a servant if he's older than bar mitzvah. Because that's when you become responsible. So if a man steals or he sells himself and he's above 13, he could become an evid. Under bar mitzvah, if anything happens, you're not an evid. You're not responsible, you're not an evid. By a girl, it's the opposite. Any woman who steals and can't be back, she's not uh, an adult woman. Once you're 12, once you're bas mitzvah, cannot be a maidservant. If you're under 12, then if the family can't support her, sometimes you have families that are very poor. So the family can't support her and this girl needs to be taken care of. So the father, the Torah gives the rights to a father for money to allow that girl to live in somebody else's home. Now, that girl is called an Amma Ivri. You know what? What's the showresh of the word Amma? Aleph Mem Hey. Mother. Beautiful. Aim. Right? Which the Torah is telling us that this young girl who's now going to be living with this other family must be treated, as we say, like a Yiddish Mama. She must be treated like a mother, also with tremendous respect and only with care, because this girl obviously was coming from a very unfortunate situation. And. She had to be treated even with greater dignity than, um, than uh, um, 
a regular Eved. Now, this is only up until age 12. Once a girl reaches age 12, there's no more Avdas by a woman because now 12 is considered an adult and a woman could go out and, and work for herself. Now, if she wants to keep working for pay and work for the hour or whatever it is or just live with this family and the family is comfortable with it, there's no issue about that whatsoever. But as far as having the title of an Amavriya, that ends by age 12. Now, notice that the purpose of Avdas in the Torah, and now we're going to get to the crux of the matter. The main idea over here is the purpose of Avdas in the Torah is to put everybody, every type of servant, into a fair, secure situation until their debts are paid off or things of that sort. Because by being a servant, you are now living with a moral menschlicha family. You, you were secure because this family was going to take care of you. And it also allowed you to pay off all your debts. What happens is, here in America, what can be very difficult is that sometimes when people run into financial issues, it just keeps going. Just keeps going. You borrow from this and you pay back that. You borrow from this and you pay back that. And people always feel like they're, a little, like they're a little bit behind. This can go on for years, 10 years, 20 years, and for a person's entire life. What this did, what this did is it allowed, it created an environment that even if people were having a difficult time financially, it was only for a maximum of six years. Because if you, let's say you didn't steal, you just needed to sell yourself. What do you mean sell yourself? You're going to go work for somebody else like many, of, like many people do. You go, you get a salary, you went to this family, you work for them. And then for, within six years, all your debts were paid off and you were back to square one. So it, was, it, was, it, it, it kind of broke a cycle of poverty for a lot of people and allowed all their chobos to go away, which happened, we know, also at Shemitah. Once a person borrows Shemitah, Knocks off all loans. And it's really, really fascinating. The beautiful, uh, what we call in English, symmetry. The creation, how the Torah ensured financially, how everything just worked out where people always had the ability to get a fresh start financially in the world. Whether it was through loans going away during Shemitah or whether it was through the ability to allow yourself to be an Eved and that would pay off everything. And then after six years, it would be a maximum and now you'd be able to restart. It always allowed the uh, the environment to be a fair and uh, and secure one, which is really unheard of in any other society. You know, in, in most societies, uh, you have a question. Yeah, I yeah, do what you want. Go ahead. Yeah, you have a question. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Um, what happens? Good question. So the owner had to make sure they're all taken care of. He had to make sure everybody had. That's it. That, yeah, absolutely. Go to Costco, buy some more mattresses. Yeah. Take care of him. That's, that's how it worked. Okay? So in society, I want to go on a little bit of a tangent now. In most societies, there's two, there's two main ways that money works. In a financial society, a financial environment, there's two main ways for a country to allow their finances to work. Do you know what they are? Right? Do you guys have budgeting class yet? or No? Finance? Not yet? Okay, we'll bring it in. You guys are already in sixth grade. You know, making money, maybe starting to babysit or something, you know. So there's something called capitalism. You know what capitalism is? You have a hate of capitalism? Capitalism is basically the, the more you work, the more money you, you could possibly make. Okay? So if you happen to make a lot of money, you make a lot of money. You don't have to make a lot. You don't make a lot of money. Now, the... the upside of capitalism is that it encourages work. It encourages work. 
Because you can only make money if you work. And the more people work, the more society hopefully advances. That's capitalism. There's a downside to capitalism. United States is a, we live in a, we live with capitalism. There's a downside to that, which is the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. What do I mean by that? If you have $5 million, so you could go now and purchase an apartment complex. People who don't have enough money to, let's say, buy a house. Some people just don't want to buy a house. And that's why they rent or they're not ready for it. But some people, right, they can't, they don't have enough money to put, to make a down payment on a home or live in a home. So they'll rent. What happens when you pay rent? Whatever money you earned goes to the landlord. So this guy had $5 million and now he bought this apartment. So everybody who has less money and couldn't afford to buy that is now giving these people who are giving their money to the rich guy. So he's making more money and the people who had the money before are not creating any sort of equity. They're not creating any sort of ownership in anything. So that money's lost to them. In the meantime, this guy's got his money. Okay, but that's fair. It's fine. Everybody's in agreement. But that's a little bit of a downside to capitalism. It doesn't, things don't always remain as stable and as fair. Another way for finances to work is called socialism. What's socialism? Socialism is that everybody should have the same. Seems nice, right? Everybody makes the same amount of money. Uh-huh. Uh, communism is part of a social, uh, you know, it's based off a socialism uh, mindset. But everybody is, whether you're a doctor, whether you're a lawyer, whether you're uh, uh, putting food on shelves, whether you're working at a gas station, whether you're uh, a teacher, whether you're a student, whether no matter what you're doing, the government just gives the same money to every person. Sounds like a great idea, right? This way you'd think nobody would be poor. The reason why socialism also has a downside what, what do you think is the downside of socialism? Go ahead. Go ahead call it out. Stop raising your hands. You guys are too, too, too much. Of, okay, no one's rich either. Okay, who, who says you need to be rich? Everybody has. Oh, so an issue is if I'm going to make money whether or not I work, why would I work? Doesn't make a difference. Whether I'm working 20 hours a day, whether I'm working a half hour a day, the government still, I'm going to be making that money. So technically, there's a downside because then a society has a hard time advancing. That's, there's, there's capitalism, and that's in a nutshell. We just put it down into three, four, into, into three, four minutes. Yeah, that's true, right? So there's, there's pluses and minuses. Interestingly, interestingly, what do you think the Torah believes in? What do you think the Torah believes in? Huh? I don't know. Torah doesn't say. Torah doesn't say, but I'll tell you what I think. I heard this from my brother. My brother Aaron shared this with me, and I, I think it's Mamish Amos. When you give a charity, what's that called in Hebrew? Tzedakah. What does tzedek mean? Righteous. Righteous. What else does tzedek mean? Tzedek, tzedek, tirdaif. What's tzedek? It's justice. It's justice. You're doing the right thing. A tzedek is someone who does the right thing. Tzedakah is not called chesed. Tzedakah is called justice. Like when we give tzedakah, it's because like we're obli- that's justice. We're obligated to give stuff. The Torah, my brother shared with me, he believes, believes in capitalism. That the more you work, the more you, you should make. However, the downside of the rich get richer, the poor get poor, has to be made up by always giving at least 10 to 20% of your money back into the general pot, we'll call it, for, because that's righteousness. 
Because the, the downside of capitalism is that people who are rich keep getting more. So what we obligate is with Meiser and Tzedakah, we say no. So always a percentage of your money has to go back to those who you took that from, we'll call it. And that is just, that's justice. That's the righteous thing to do. That's, that's how Hashem demands. So it's kind of like a merger. It's a, it's a balance between capitalism and socialism. And it, it uh, takes care of at least uh, most of the issues between, uh, between those two. What Avdus does over here, what Avdus does is it also takes care of that element. It takes care of that aspect where it creates a more uh, healthier financial environment for everybody involved, and people never will far too fall will never fall too far behind financially. I'm sharing a lot of details over here. We're getting the general idea over here how, how Avdus slavery in America and slavery in other countries was a concept of for me. Understand? This is, the big, this is the big idea that we're trying to share over here. Slavery in America is, you will work for me. You're my slave. I will do with you what I want. This is a selfish thing. Slavery in the Torah, whether in Abedivri or in Avakanani, which we didn't really touch on Avakanani, and we probably won't get to it because we're almost uh, at time. But even by Nebuchadnezzar, it wasn't about the master being the only one on the receiving end. The responsibility was to society. To the person who's working for me, this is not for me. I, I need to be a mensch. If I don't treat you like a mensch, you're out of here. The guy could walk away. He can go over to a Besden, walk over to a course. If my master's not treating me right, he beat me up, knocked out my tooth, do whatever. And Besden will say, okay. So they'll say to the owner, bye. You're not treating him properly. The purpose of Avdus is that it should be a two-way street, that it should be a healthy environment for both the master and the servant to help the servant get back on his feet and put him into a healthy environment and to rehab him away from his geneva and or away from his uh, uh, for what any reason that he stole or, or any reason that he had to sell himself. And Mamela, everybody, everybody was uh, you know everybody was gaining from this relationship. All right, the shukayach everybody.